episode number 183 with Carlos Welch. Welcome to the Heads Up Poker Podcast. This is Steve Barton, and thank you for tuning in. This week, we have a returning guest, Carlos Welch. Thanks for coming on, Carlos. Thanks for having me. Yes, and uh, where are you physically located right now? I am physically located at Mike Snyderman's place, <laughs> a.k.a. Rampage Poker. <laughs> Doing, doing a little house sitting while he's visiting his parents. Right on, right on. And uh, you're enjoying the lava lamp, I assume? Um, it's been off since he's left. Really? Uh, yes. I actually unplugged it and drained all the water out. Huh. All right. Well, <laughs> don't you miss the uh, getting woken up every morning to frantic uh, panic about Bitcoin prices and Coinbase? <laughs> yeah, I do miss that part. <laughs> <laughs> right uh well what uh what have you been doing what are you just grinding a lot online or what uh what you yeah. been doing in this place playing a lot of poker studying doing a lot of writing and doing a lot of coaching good good right on yeah. good deal what uh where are you playing on ignition uh bovada okay yeah 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 i have to make a distinction because um ignition screwed mike oh <laughs> and and he didn't um he didn't realize it was two different companies, so I told him, like, okay, even though you got screwed over by Ignition, you can still play on Bovada. Yeah. They're, they're actually two different companies. Oh, they really are. So is Bovada, they have a poker room too, or are they both playing on the same skin? Or It's the same skin, I guess that's the way you would put it, but it's, um, they, you, you remember, that Bovada sold their poker room to Ignition and they were out of the poker business for about a year. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit more. Um, but, um, not too long ago, they got back into the business. And so they just basically restarted their poker room on the same skin they were on before, but it is a separate entity from Ignition. Okay. Okay. Huh. I didn't know that. When when you said uh, Bovada instead of Ignition, I was laughing, but I was laughing because I didn't get the joke. Not because right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Oh, I wanted to ask you about one of your tweets. That It's your pinned tweet right now. It says something about backing for a Venetian tournament or something. Mm-hmm. What, is that coming up or did it already happen? Or That already happened. Oh, okay. Okay. So I missed the boat on that. It was um... – that was one. So at the beginning of the summer, I sold a package um, of tournaments um, and I left Vegas in the middle of the summer um, because I lost everything and I went to teach summer school. And then when I came back, I fired some um, separate tournaments to make up for the ones that I missed, ah, and, okay. and and that and that was one of the additional tournaments that I fired, and so I was basically just um, using Twitter as a um, mass email to um, all the people who were already invested in the package to let them know which tournaments I was replacing the missed tournaments with. Ah, uh, okay, 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, L- Lori, friend of the show, yeah, uh, actually um, chopped that tournament. No kidding. Yep. Nice. Well, congratulations, yep. Lori. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. It was fun to um, see her and meet her husband. Um, they, um, I, I think he was just reeling, but um, um, Lori played in that same tournament. I stone bubbled it, oh. and she chopped it. Oh, right on. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. How, how much was first? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. Oh, okay. Not maybe like four or five grand or something like that. Nice. Good little payday. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. Good deal. I got a, uh, I got a haircut the other day and I, um, I was sitting in the chair. I, I walked down to one of the local uh, places down here, um, uh, by my house. It's, uh, um, a lot of, it's a Hispanic one. You know, there's Mexican ladies in there that uh, cut your hair and I like going in there cause well, for one, it's only 10 bucks. And then, uh, two, I get to practice my Spanish, you know, while, while I'm in there. And right. the, uh, the little, um, um, grandma, I think her whole job was sweeping up the, uh, the hair after everyone was done. She gets up and she starts sweeping up the hair and, and it made me realize that, um, I think carpet would be a horrible option for a barber shop. You know, I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen carpet in a, uh, in a barber shop before. Uh, yeah, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. I, I think when you initially walked into the barber shop, you might not notice that anything's wrong, but as soon as you see the Mexican lady get up and try to, uh, you know, sweep the uh, hair from out of the shag, it would become blatantly obvious that they made a horrible decision with their flooring. So, so is this a hypothetical or do they actually have carpet? No, it's a hypothetical. I was oh, just thinking I was that I'd never <laughs> seen carpet in a barber shop before and that's probably why. That is the most random segue I've ever heard in my life <laughs> from a conversation about poker to a conversation about carpet in a barbershop. You got to keep up with the randomness. <laughs> like, what the hell did that come from? I was, I was trying to find a connection. I was like, okay, this is going to be like some metaphor about like, you know, how your buy-ins kind of get stuck. <laughs> You can't get them out or something. I was like, okay, there's no punchline to this. this no, is no, a... no, that was it. Just a statement. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Random synapses fire here, and I just I just go off on them. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so uh, Mike uh, tweeted a little something about the two of you going on a uh, diet. Uh, have you guys done anything with that? Or uh, I have. Um, I'm not sure what Mike is doing because, like I said, he's been at his, at his um, parents' place. Um, and I've been kind of like half doing it um, just um, for the most part, just trying to stay away from sugar, which is my big um, downfall. Um, and I haven't been going pretty hardcore with it, so I've been having like mixed results. But I'm not sure um, um, what what Mike is up to right now. It uh, I, I, the reason I'm asking. I um, uh, I just finished listening to a book, The Four Hour Body. Have you heard of that one? <laughs> yeah that that was the book that kicked off my. Um, I had a pretty um, extreme weight loss in um, 2013, mm-hmm. and that was the book that kicked it off. Ah, okay. So it, I've been trying. This is like day four for me right now. Um, the beans was a big one. I was there, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, 
<laughs> this is right up Carlos's alley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I, well, so, so when I started that book, um, I was trying to do, um, Tim's diet, which was, I think he calls it like the slow carb diet or something yeah. like that. And I was doing the beans and, um, uh, I can't remember what else was involved, but I was doing that for a while. But the funny thing is, Reading further into that book, I got to the section where he started talking about doing the the cold showers mm-hmm. and the, the ice baths and whatnot. And reading that section, um, he learned all his information about the cold stuff from this guy, um, Ray Cronice. Yeah, so, he talked about him in the book. I think we brought this up on the podcast like a year ago or something. Then you know that guy or something. Yeah. And okay. so like, so like reading the book and, and I was really fascinated about Ray's part and I started doing all the cold showers and like got the little sleeping pad like you do. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, that really worked. And so I just like went online and found Ray's blog and basically, um, started participating on his blog and became friends with him. And, um, then he started teaching me about this, um, eating potatoes to lose weight. And yeah. that's what I did in 2013. I lost like 60 pounds in 2013. And the funny thing about it is, um, he was helping me lose weight. I want to say a couple of months or maybe even like a year before he started helping, um, Penn Gillette from um, Penn and Teller. Ah, okay. Yeah, and and Penn ended up losing like over 100 pounds. He looks like a a different person, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so people, like I have several stories like this where if I just tell you, it's like that, like sometimes I tell people these stories and I'm thinking like, there's no way anybody believes me. This shit sounds so (laughs) outlandish. Like when I tell people that a rocket scientist helped me lose weight, (laughs) And then also, and, and then also help Pendulette lose weight. That's, that sounds insane, but it's actually true. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's actually true. That's awesome, dude. That is yeah. so awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. I learned a little bit more about the cold showers. What Tim said to do in his book is he said, hit the water first with just your face and your hair and kind of rinse it off. And then basically, turn around so that the shower is now pointed at the back of your neck and your, and your trap muscles and stand there the whole time for three to five minutes. I wasn't doing that. Uh, but he said, that's, that's, there's, there's some type of, uh, I can't remember if it was nerves or something that are basically at the base of your neck and the top of your shoulders that it is, um, brown fat. Ah, that's what it was. Brown fat. Yeah. He, he said that, uh, uh, stimulates, um, uh, weight loss faster than, standing with the water hitting your chest. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember reading that stuff. Um, and I started out doing it that way and it was like pretty hard the first time you do it. Yeah. But like, but once I got into it, man, it was so like, it felt normal. Like I didn't even, I I don't think I did the, um, the, they called it contrast showers where you do, I believe it was like, uh, 10, 10 seconds of hot and 20 seconds of cold and then you kind of alternate between the two. Okay. I did I did that for a while until I got used to it and then after that I could go like straight cold like the whole way through and like not even feel too much of a, a shock. It was more 
once I got used to it, it felt more refreshing than shocking. Yeah. I took a hot shower uh, for the first time in a while, probably a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't like it. It, um, I feel much better after the cold ones. And as a matter of fact, I ended up turning it to cold like halfway through because I'm like, That's, I don't know how I don't know how I used to do this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I miss. I, I man, everything that was working for me, I stopped doing it, and I miss I miss doing the cold showers because. The one thing that it helped me with, which I was surprised, is my general response to temperature changes was um, blunted. So, for example, um, being in 118 degrees in Vegas didn't feel as bad as it used to feel. And being in like 20, 30 degrees in Portland didn't feel as bad as it used to feel. So, like, once you kind of hit yourself with the extremes in both directions like neither one of them feel uh that bad going forward yeah yeah tim i i don't think he said it in his book but i heard it on his show or something he said that uh voluntarily putting yourself through pain with a cold shower first thing in the morning uh makes other little things that happen throughout the day not as bad you know things that yeah. you can't control that happen to you when you find out that you got a bill that that you didn't know was coming or whatever it is or if you get in a little fender bender in your car those things are not as big of a deal when first thing in the morning you put yourself through that misery but ironically after a while i don't even i don't even really notice the cold anymore i notice it the most like when i go to my folks house or i'm so, like when i was up in reno uh with uh with mike up in tahoe playing the series Mm-hmm. Uh, that yep. water was exceptionally cold. <laughs> it was it was freezing, but uh, you know I still did it. It uh, you just get used to it. Yeah, when I was doing it, um, I think I took some international trips um, around that time. I think I went to the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. and the place where we stayed there um, didn't have. Um, very warm water in general and so it was kind of like an asset for me to already be conditioned acclimated to um cold showers when that was that's like the norm in a lot of those um caribbean um places yeah yeah it's the same in asia too most of them uh don't even have uh uh hot water and over there it's so damn hot you you don't really need it (laughs) you know yeah same thing in the islands yeah yeah true true Right on. Um, well, uh, what, uh, what, what else is new? Are you going back to, uh, uh, substituting or are you just gonna, what, what's, what's your plans over the next month or two? So the plan is to, what's funny is, so I, I came back from teaching summer school back to Vegas and ground a couple of co- tournaments at the Venetian and the Wynn just to kind of like finish up my package. And afterwards, I came out here to uh, just, you know, with the intention of doing like a hardcore month of like studying and grinding and and dieting with Mike. And (laughs) I basically like walked in the door. And as I was coming in, he was going out. He just dropped me off, dropped the key off in my hand. (laughs) And and then when he gets back, I'm basically going to be doing the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) So won't get a chance to spend as much time at, with Mike as I hoped. But um, um, so at the end of this month, 
um, I am going to go back to Portland um, to um, substitute teach for two and a half months until um, Thanksgiving. And then I'm going to go uh, home um, for the holidays, probably into the new year. Nice. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to um, subbing. It's like, like the more I think about it, it is like the probably probably the best possible job for me the the teaching the summer school well actually yeah yeah i guess i'll say that yeah uh teaching summer school was um not fun at all no they they paid me uh 50 percent more than they paid me to sub but it was like three times the work Uh so definitely was not worth it definitely was not rewarding I was hoping it was going to be rewarding to get back into actually t- actual teaching, but the whole the whole public education system is just broken, man. And so, it's, yeah. yeah, it was it wasn't fun at all. So I kind of hesitated a bit because um, the best job for me would be tutoring. So whenever I've done like math tutoring, like private tutoring at homes, that's like the ultimate high for me. Um, but the problem with that is I'm not completely in control of the schedule. Yeah. So I enjoy, I get more out of that than I do out of subbing, but just being 100% in control of my schedule like I am when I'm subbing, that I think that's probably the best job for me. Yeah. Yeah. I like the one-on-one teaching more too. Uh, I see it at, at, at my job at, um, uh, I used to teach out at the college and we'd teach a, a group of uh, 40 kids, you know, how to be firemen, throwing ladders, pulling hose, doing stuff like that. And we'd break them up into groups of eight or 10 and then have them for two hours and then they're gone. And then you get another group of eight or 10 and then have them for two hours and they're gone. Whereas now at work, I've got one rookie and I don't teach at the college anymore, but now I have one rookie that mm-hmm. when you have one student and you can really just, okay, for the next hour and a half, we're just going to do ladders. You can really take a kid that is, you know, average and turn him into a rock star pretty quickly when you only have one student, you know? It's, yeah. Uh, and I don't know if this applies to adults in something like firefighting, but teaching teenagers, um, especially in math, especially teenagers who struggle with math, part of teaching, teaching is a two-way street. And so you kind of need feedback. You kind of need them to tell you when they don't understand. Yeah. And you need, you need them to kind of participate. And teenagers in large group, large groups do not like to do that. They're embarrassed. Um, they just like, it's like pulling teeth, try to get them to talk. And so when you get them one on one, that, that they kind of open up to that. And I don't know if that's something that you also see when you're teaching adults in large groups. Um, yeah, I think there's kind of a tactful way to do it. You know, um, they're definitely not as shy as teenagers, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, yeah, you can, um, um, but one-on-one is, is certainly easier because then, um, I'm thinking of like a ladder scenario. So we'll go and throw a ladder up to a house and throwing a ladder is basically extending it up to the roof so you can go to the roof. Um, Mm -hmm. they'll throw it up and I'll say, okay, you know, is there any, is your spot looks okay. Can you think of a better spot? Well, how about right next to the chimney? And then if you put the ladder right next to the chimney, then it's going to be more stable. 
Okay, so the next time he does that, then we'll move on to a different scenario, maybe a commercial building. It doesn't have a chimney, but it does have these little, uh, um, I'm not sure what they'd be called, but uh, columns coming out of the concrete tilt up that they could put the ladder up. Same concept, different building. Right. See if they just get it on the first time. If they don't, then point it out. They'll get it on the next one. You go to another building, try it again. You know, eventually that kid's just going to be instinct, look at it, and then know right where to put it. Um, with a group, uh, I think I usually, when the first student will do it as like a scenario, I kind of ask the group and I would say, can you guys think of a place where we could put the ladder where it would be a little bit more stable? And then someone invariably, every time, will just raise their hand and they'll point out where they could uh, put it by the corner and, you know, something like that. And, and it's hard. You, you never really know what a group like where everybody is so for example you're gonna have like your quote-unquote star students who are jumping in answering all the questions and you kind of have to like look at the faces and kind of gauge if other people know it or if there's somebody who's like really kind of zoned out and that that skill kind of comes with experience and teaching but it can be difficult and so like anytime you're in a one-on-one setting you don't have to uh, worry about, you know, people hiding behind the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Right on. Um, well, I've got uh, I've got a couple of hands. Unless you got some that uh, that uh, you wanted to talk about. No, we can do these. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, this one's on uh, your favorite site, Bovada. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, blind levels are three and six hundred. Uh, we've got Queen of Spades, Jack of Spades, uh, UTG two. Okay, so uh, we raise it to eighteen seventy six, so a little bit more than three big blinds, and it folds around to the big blind, who has twenty five big blinds, um, and he calls. So we go heads up to the flop. Um, and you're raising about that uh, size there with Queen Jack of Spades. Honestly, with Queen Jack of Spades, I think I could go either way. Um, I like the bigger raise sizing because you get three bet less often, the big blind defends less often, uh, and you don't have to play post flop as often with um, hands that don't play well post flop. Mm-hmm. But this isn't one of those hands. This hand plays pretty well post flop, and I kind of want—I kind of want to play this hand post flop. So I may. What I'll do is a range of hands that I don't mind playing post flop. I'm more likely to use a smaller open size, and a range of hands that I don't want to play post flop. I'll go a little bit bigger, and I know that I can't completely balance that, but I'll try to like. Like maybe I'll min raise with suited Broadway hands like this and also aces and kings um, occasionally. And the bigger sizing I'm going to do with more offsuit hands or maybe suited hands with like gappers that I don't really want to play post flop. Like maybe like queen nine suited or something like that. Yeah. And I'll use the bigger size in there with hands like that. Ace King off, Jacks, you know, the hands that really don't want to see a flop. And yeah. then I'll protect that range with like Queens and occasionally um Kings. Um and the good the, the good thing is 
that range is um, obviously weaker, but the response that a lot of people would have to make to that is to like um, three bet it, and it's hard to do. Even though that range is weaker, it's hard to three bet it when I'm three xing, and you even go a little bit more than three. So the thing they would have to do to exploit it is hard to do. Yeah. It's hard to three bet as a bluff when somebody opens for more than three bigs. Yeah. Yeah. So so in this case, um I can see a smaller raise only because it's a suited Broadway hand where I'm pretty happy to go post flop with. And what what size would you do? Two or two and a half or um probably just a min raise, uh, something like that. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I little I like three point one it, um, and with Queen of Spades, Jack of Spades, we get a flop of King of Spades, Ten of Hearts, Six of Diamonds. Okay, and the big blind checks his uh, checks does. Okay, so we have open ended flush draw, backdoor, um, straight draw, a uh, backdoor flush draw, open ended straight draw. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the um, my my thought here is this guy off of twenty bigs, twenty five bigs can kind of pretty easily check get it in with a lot of his range, especially given the bloated pot size uh, from our three um, um, X. Uh, so I think I'm going to. So the question is. Can we get it in here very often? Um, uh, will, will we have to get it in here very often? There's not a ton of draws, given that it's a rainbow flop. Um, we have the the main draw that you're going to see on this um, board, so we block that. Um, but because stacks are kind of um, shallow, um he can also get it in with a just a, a naked king here um, pretty comfortably. And having the spade, um, uh, backdoor spade draw, I think I like a check back here. And that does um, two things. It If we bet and he shoves, we can call, but we're not loving it. It's probably like a break-even call, not profitable. Um, whereas if we check back, um, we can pick up equity. We can just get there. Um, or if he checks to us again, now we can go for a delayed C bet, which honestly, like in my experience works like 80% of the time. (laughs) It's it's insane. It's insane because on this site, 24 hours later, you can go back and see the hands. It's crazy how, how often, I see people show with hands that I feel would have um, continued versus a regular C-bet, but then on a delayed C-bet, they just fold. Sometimes it's like second pair of top kicker. And wow. I'm just, I'm just amazed that, like, if you bet, like, this is a good example. The guy has, like, um, ace-10 here. If you bet, he's never folding. True. But if you check back in the in the turn as a, queen or a jack or just so many other things that they they just get spooked on 
Because when you check back, it looks like you're checking back with showdown value. Yeah. That's what that's what everybody thinks. So I've been um, doing that a lot lately, and I've been having pretty um, good success with the delayed C-bet. That's going to be my focus. for. I'm going to play as soon as we're done recording here, and uh, that'll be my focus for today, the delayed C-bet. I like that. <laughs> yeah, and, and just and just keep up with how often it works. And, and the the beauty of it is the people we play against don't bluff enough. Yeah. And so they're not going to take advantage of the fact that you check back and and bet out on the turn like they should. Uh I will say probably only one or two people out of 10 are capable of that. Everybody else you just get perfect information on the turn. Huh. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I like that. Okay, uh, well, he checks. Um, I believe the move here is checking. I think you're right. Uh, I end up betting out into a pot of uh, 4,600. The big blind has almost 13K behind, uh, so we're almost 3 to 1 stacked pot ratio. Uh, I bet out about half pot. I bet out 2,300 into 46. And uh, then he check raises here to 5,800. So it's another, um, is that 35 for us to call? Yeah. And I like, I like your bet sizing with this hand on this flop. We have a pretty strong hand for, um, uh, a pretty strong draw to get it in with here if we have to. And so I don't want to, um, I don't want to induce this guy to continue with weaker hands. If I can, if I can bet half pot here and get him to fold a six that's pretty good when i have queen high yeah and so i I like the bigger size in here when he does decide to raise we got a pretty um um i was gonna say we have a pretty easy call but uh we need to at least consider shoving here um when he raises i don't think he's doing that as a bluff very often um so i guess um that just leaves um, call is the only option for us. Okay, all right. I uh, I end up calling. Um, so now we got a pot of sixteen k. Uh, big blind has seven k behind. Uh, then we get a turn of a jack of clubs. So we've got the queen of spades, jack of spades. The board now is king of spades, jack of clubs, ten of hearts, six of diamonds. So that completes the rainbow. And big blind. Uh, Leads into us by shoving. So he puts in 7K. There's now 23 in the pot, and it's 7 for us to call. Yep. This is a um, pretty easy call, I think. 23 in the middle. We put in 7. Um, so that's 7 over 30. Yeah, I think we have um, more than enough equity to call here. Okay. All right. Yep, I flick in a call. And uh, Villain has ace-king. So, um, yeah, this hand, I, so you're, you're, you're not opposed to the, uh, to the half pot bet on the flop there. No, the, the, so basically I'm going to size my flop bets based on what I want this guy to do. So if I want him to continue more often, I'm going to use a smaller sizing. Um, and I'm going to do that with hands like, um, 
fin value hands that can beat a 10 or a 6 or at least most 10s. Like I would do that with like if I was going to bet ace 10, I would use a smaller sizing because I need to get called by queen 10. Yeah. And I don't want to scare them off with a bigger sizing. I'm also going to do it with complete bluffs where I really don't care what happens. I'm just trying to like get them off of the very bottom of his range. And when I have a hand that I really want a fold with, um, like a draw, I'm going to use a bigger sizing because if I can get them off of like, I don't think anybody's folding any 10, uh, at least not to one bet. But you, you, like some weird shit starts happening when you bet third pot. <laughs> and so if you bet third pot, you may get called by six. And that's great when you can beat a six. But when you can't beat a six, that's not great. Yeah, so. And so, so yeah, with the draws, I think I'm going to go um, bigger. Okay. Okay. All righty. Well, um, yeah, that was that one. I've got one more. Before before we jump into your other one, I got one I want to try. No, Ooh, I haven't done okay. I, I I haven't done this before, so this will be the you I think you'll have fun with this. Um, I want to try to do a hand um, history that doesn't contain a hand. I just want to talk about <laughs> okay. I just want to talk about ranges. Oh, all right. Okay, so this is. This is a real hand from a tournament that I played at the Venetian, but um, uh, I'm not going to um, reveal any whole cards. Okay. So, and I'm kind of doing this on the fly, so um, bear with me. This may be a little choppy. <laughs> okay, so you, so a tight player opens from early position okay. to, to 3x. And um, he has about 50 bigs. Okay. And you're in middle position with, say, like 60 bigs. Okay. And so he opens, you call, and then a calling station calls from the big blind. Okay, big blind. And, and he has roughly 50 bigs also. Okay. So right away, middle position, um, tight guy opens to 3X. What's your calling range? Okay, and then you said the loose guys and the big blind. Okay. Huh, tight guy opens in uh, – yeah, what was the buy-in of the tournament? Uh, $600, $600 live tournament at the Venetian. Okay. Tight guy opens in early position. And what, what do you remember about him? The guy who opened, mm -hmm. um, kind of a, a nice looking um, middle aged black dude that looks like he lives in a van. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos Dos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks like his name might be Carlos. <laughs> well, oh, so you're the guy in early position. Yes. Ah, I, I thought Hero was uh, middle position. Carlos is not Hero in this hand. Okay. All right. Okay. You're... Now I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay. Yes. This was like uh, my uh, my barbershop uh, hair, hair joke. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little choppy. We'll get through it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Carlos opens in uh, uh, early position for 3X. Now yep. I'm the, the middle position 
caller, what's my calling range here? Yes. Ah, okay. So what do you know about the middle position guy? Is your question, what is my calling range? Or is your question, what do I think his calling range is? My question is, what is your calling range? Ah, okay. I would, uh, Carlos opens there. If it's a passive table behind me where there hasn't been a lot of three betting, I'm going to be a little bit wider here. And I'm going to be, for you specifically, I'm probably calling here with, I got 60 bigs. Uh, Fours might be a little loose. Um, Now Now keep in mind, you don't know me. All you know is I'm a, Quiet black guy who's not talking. <laughs> I yeah. mean, who's uh, who's uh, pretty tight. Who's been pretty tight so far. Been pretty tight. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to think you're you're pretty strong, and I'm going to look to uh, you know if I can do something with the. Uh, I'm probably calling there if it's a passive table behind me. I'm probably calling there with fives plus um, ace uh, calling calling. Okay. So probably fives through. Maybe tens? That might be too tight. Uh, fives through nines for sure. Possibly fours and possibly tens. We could put them 50% each. Um, then also calling with... Possibly, yeah, ace-queen suited, I'm calling. Ace-king suited, I'm re-raising, so that's out. Wow, I have very few hands there that I'm calling with. Yeah, I would say most of it's pairs. And then I'm also thinking about throwing in something like Jack-10 suited just to kind of throw a wrench in there so it's not all like the same type of hands. That's probably about it. Uh, I think the rest I'm either folding or re-raising. Okay. And so let me make sure I got this right. Um, fives through nines, ace-queen suited, and Jack-10 suited? Yeah. Okay. And, and then so possibly tens and possibly fours. If it's a passive table behind me, we're no, it, you know, yeah, it's def- it is a passive table. Okay. All right. All right. So we can throw in tens and fours. Okay. And so you call and a calling station and a big blind calls. Okay. And again, effective stacks of 50 bigs, but you have both players covered with about 60. Okay. Okay. So flop comes. Ten, nine, eight, rainbow. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Ten, nine, eight, rainbow. And the big blind and also the original razor checks to you. Hmm. And because you don't know your hand, I just have to give you the next action. Okay. Well, no, I, I can just ask you, like, okay, so are you betting any of this range here? Okay, I'm betting uh, definitely eights, nines, and tens. Uh, let's see. So I guess I only got in there with Jack ten. Uh, Jack ten here. I might actually check. Ironically, um, you're, so you're betting with the sets. Betting with the sets. Uh, definitely checking fours and fives, sixes and sevens. Actually, sevens. I might. Uh, I might lead and then just fold to any. Um, uh, any action, maybe make it like, uh, I don't know, a little bit more than half pot or something like that. Uh, then the ace queen suited, uh, I'm probably betting that if one, if there's one of the, um, uh, one of the, uh, damn it, one of my suit on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then checking, uh, if there's not. 
And I want to say that means you're probably going to be betting a lot of these because it's rainbow and your hands suited. Um, you're going to be betting a lot. So, so we got four combos of ace queen suited and with the board being rainbow, um, you're going to be betting one of those combos pretty much every time. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you, so, so I guess you're betting one combo of, um, ace. Oh, I guess you're always betting that because if you, so let's say the board is spade club heart. Okay. If, if you have ace queen of heart, you're betting. Yeah. If you have ace queen of spades, you're betting. If you have ace queen, so you're betting three out of four combos. Yeah. On the flop. Okay. All right. And so, but in this hand, uh, you don't bet. So that means going into the turn, you have that one combo of ace queen of hearts that didn't, I mean, ace queen suited Mm -hmm. that didn't have the backdoor flush draw. Um, You have fours through sixes. Yeah. And I can't remember the Jack 10. You said you would check back. Jack so, 10. I'm checking. Yeah. So you have, so, so going into the turn, your range is fours through sixes, Jack 10 and ace queen with no backdoor flush draw. That would, cause yeah. Yeah. So, so you check turn. Okay. Check turn and the turn Wait. it. Oh, check flop. Okay. And the turn is. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Check flop and the turn is a Jack. So now, on the turn, action checks to you again. Hmm. Okay. Uh, all right. It, so I checked. So right now I have one combo of ace-queen. <laughs> yeah. And I have, uh, what is that, 16? No, not less than 16 combos because now we have another jack out there. 12? Uh, 12. No, no, not 9 because there's a 10 on the flop too. So you, right. got top, you got top two now. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I said I'm only calling there with Jack-10 suited. So there's four combos of Jack-10 suited. Oh, yeah, you're right. So uh, tw- two. You got two combos of Jack-10 suited. Two combos of Jack-10. Wow, my range is exquisitely narrow here. Uh, okay, and then I've got fours, fives, and sixes because I would have bet sevens. Right. Um, okay, so four, fives, and sixes. I'm checking. Jack-10, I'm checking. Ace-queen, I'm betting. <laughs> Actually, Jack-10, can I bet this? Is anyone checking a queen there? Maybe the big blind would. I don't think you're ever checking a queen there, so maybe I can bet two pair for value. Yeah, so just to recap, you have tight player opens, you call, and a station calls in the big blind, and everybody checks the both Both opponents check the flop, and they check the turn. Yeah. So ranges are pretty capped here, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I would bet my one combo of ace-queen, and uh, I would probably bet uh, jack-10 for value then. And so I'm checking ace- behind. I'm checking back fours, fives, and sixes and just hoping to God you both have ace-king. So no, so no bluffs in this spot? Boy, I guess not. Uh, for me specifically, the way you described it and what we've narrowed my range down to here, I'm not turning fours, fives, or sixes into a bluff. Okay. Okay. 
So it checks around to you, and you do bet. Okay. And so given that you bet, you're betting the one combo of ace-queen suited. Mm-hmm. And I think we said two combos of... Um, Jack-10 Jack- suited. Jack-10 suited. So you bet, smile blind calls, and the original razor raises for half his stack. Wow. And it gets back around to you. Obviously, you're not going anywhere with the ace-queen. No. What are you doing with it? Are you just calling? Are you putting it in? Um, ha- ha- so so the big blind co- uh, so, call. So there's, like, so there's like, say, nine in the middle preflop. I mean, on the flop. And um, you bet, like, six on the... Um, turn so two big blind but yeah and big blind calls and so there's 21 in the middle and the um uh original razor raises um uh what's this number um 27 so so like say you bet six and he makes it like 24 uh, okay. Twenty one in the middle and you make it twenty-four. Uh okay. Well with ace queen I'm not going anywhere. Uh Jack ten. Probably just folding. Um four fives and six is easy fold. And with the ace queen, do you go ahead and jam or do you just call? So only did the the jack put up a flush draw there, or did it? Um... Uh no, no. Okay. Um. So if it completed the rainbow, I'm just. I mean, with ace queen, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna shove it just because. Um, I feel like that's when they call and they either have a queen or a king queen. <laughs> yeah. But if you just yeah. call there, uh, then you know I keep in your set of jacks. I keep in your set of tens. If you somehow played it like this, uh, I keep all that in. And in addition, I'm going to get stacked by your King queen, but we do have a queen. We do block a few combos of, uh, of King queen. And, um, then of course we split with everything else. We could be splitting the money too. Now with the, uh, with the big blind, um, because I could see him doing this with something like Jack nine or Jack eight or 10, eight, or I don't know. Some yeah. two pairs. In there. And, with, and with him being a station, he may call behind after you call with a two pair hand. He could, yeah. 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 So okay. you're thinking, yeah. So Jack 10, I let it go. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a tough fold, but, <laughs> but I slowly push it towards the dealer. Uh, the ace yeah. queen, I just call, I don't shove. Gotcha. So let me tell you what really happened here. Okay. <laughs> In the game, you are Daryl Fish, and you snap shove. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 snap shove over the vet. Okay. And the um, big blind hems and hauls and like get pissed off and like folds. He folds his two then, pair. Okay. <laughs> yes. And then action folds back around to Carlos, and he quietly mucks his pocket kings. <laughs> Good fold, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, 
it was definitely not a bet with the intention of calling. It was a bluff. Yeah. But the 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 point of this hand is I'm thinking that um and I think I got the raise size. I think the raise size might be wrong cuz I think I think I maybe made it like 18 or 20. I don't think it was four times the bet. I think it might have been a little bit less than that because I had about 25. I forgot to take into account the um, open um, because I know I had half my stack left when this hand was over. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'm instead of making it like 24, maybe I made it like 20, 21, something like that. But whatever the case may be, I thought that um, the middle position caller would have a decent number of like two pair, maybe sets, maybe um, uh, like for example, if he doesn't if he doesn't three bet jacks pre, I think he gets to the turn with jacks, okay. and so that's that's a, a combo of sets, and then maybe there's a seven like pocket sevens, maybe um check flop and go ahead and bet on the turn. And I'm thinking, like, he really can't continue versus a check raise here with anything but a queen. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, like, man, I can fold out everything but a queen. And I actually have, having pocket kings, I block king-queen pretty hard, which is the nuts. Mm-hmm. And and I could kind of, like, raise here to rep the nuts to fold out anything. Like, like queen, a queen is almost like a side call. <laughs> a queen without yeah. the uh without the king. So I'm thinking like, man, this is a cool spot where I should be able to get um get both of these players off of the vast majority of their range. And it's like it's rare that you find an opportunity to turn kings into a bluff. <laughs> but but I thought this was a good spot for it. And um I think it uh, I'll have to look at the numbers, but I think it may have been slightly bad to slightly good, um, given that we see here you're folding two thirds of your range here. Yeah. Uh, and so if you can get somebody to fold, you know, two thirds at a time um, with a bluff, then that's probably a pretty decent bluff. Um, so I don't think. Like just hearing you go through the analysis, I kind of agree with uh, the majority of what you said here. Where he doesn't really have a lot of queens on his turn. I don't it's, think so. Um, yes, I mean he, he's probably you know I think average players are probably calling a little bit more than I am there. Maybe I'm a little biased because I know how you play and we've played together a lot online and, and yeah, uh, you know we talk on the show and everything. I might be a little biased to that. So maybe an average player is. Uh, is calling with the queen jack suited and the king queen suited there and stuff. But against you, I wouldn't do that. But yeah, even if he calls a queen jack suited, he's betting that on the flop because it's the nuts. Oh yeah, you're right. And, yeah. So by the time we get to this turn spot, a, he shouldn't have a lot of Queens and B this, this was the assumption I made B he's dealing with two opponents that he knows he's better than and he knows they have cap ranges. So I think he is going to be able to find some bluffs here where maybe you and I were not able to. Yeah. Like I could see him betting like a small pair or something like that as a bluff because like neither one of us has anything the vast majority of the time when we check twice on a board this wet. 
Yeah. And yeah. so that was, that was my thinking. Didn't work. I think I ran into a queen. I didn't get a chance to see his hand because obviously I folded when yeah. he shoved. Um, but I did ask him about it, um, on Twitter. And he said that he, um, has some bet folds in his range here, but not many. Um, so I don't know what that equates to number wise, but this is a fun spot. It sucked because I, uh, lost half my stack in this hand, but it was like exhilarating to find a potential bluff and, and be willing to pull the trigger against a world-class player. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's yeah. cool. I had one uh, online. Have, have you played uh, on Ignition there? Uh, se- I think they call it Sevens Tournament. It's a... Um, yeah, I played that bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the one where you start with like eighteen thousand chips, eighteen thousand big blinds, seventy-seven thousand seven hundred and seventy-seven chips, and the blinds are ten and twenty. So you're just starting out with thousands of big blinds, right? Yeah. And, uh, it. Um, I I remember going over my database on uh, Hold a Manager too, and you know how you can you can. Um, uh, separate it by blind levels. Uh, like, um, you know, how many big blinds per hundred are you winning when you have 500 plus big blinds or when you have 250 plus big blinds, right? Well, yeah. I had some incredible numbers on there that it was like, is this even right? I mean, like in some of those big, when you're really deep stacked, I, I'm making over a hundred big blinds per hand. Now it's not a huge sample size, but still, uh, then I, I played that, uh, seven, seven, seven tournament. And we're in the first or second level, so we have thousands of big blinds. And uh, I get uh, pocket aces. I raise it up to three or four big blinds, folds around to the big blind. He completes. Flop comes king high uh, with an eight. And then I bet he calls. The turn is an eight. I bet he calls. River is another eight. And I'm like, he just has a king here every single time, right? And yep. so he... Uh, uh, he checks the, uh, the river and I just opened shove for, it was like 10 or 12 times the size of the pot. Yep. And he, he didn't even think he just insta call. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that is so awesome. <laughs> it's like, he has a King there every single time. And, uh, just the way the action was, was going down, you know, and I got paid off 10 X pot, uh, you know, first or second level, uh, with that end. Yeah. You may even get called by like tens or nines there. Like on this site, it's like anything is possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I play exactly the same way. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice too because we, when those spots come up, you've got, you know, at an average table, you probably have three fish at least, and uh, or we'll call them fun players, and they'll just no, snap they're you fish. Off. Yeah, they're they'll fish. snap you off <laughs> spots like that all the time. It uh, it's almost like they're just not invested yet in the tournament or something. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. But, yeah, um, it's it's so many big blinds that it feels like play money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Um, I got. What, do you have any more like that? That was that was interesting. I like that range game. Yeah, uh, I don't have any more like that, but I think I'm going to do that more often. I think that's a pretty good, I got, I got to do a better job of like disguising the fact that I'm in the hand though, because I saw that, that, um, influence, um, a little bit of your analysis. Um, but I do, I really like that because it gives you a way to replay hands that you've played 
um, and and kind of like it's like by me putting you in Daryl's shoes, Daryl Fisher's shoes, and having you replay this hand against me gives me like a small glimpse into um, you know what he may have been thinking there, and that helps me decide if. I like my line um, or if like if you just like have nothing but Queen X when you bet that turn there, then I'm thinking like, OK, maybe this is a bad spot to bluff. Yeah. But the fact that you did have some bet folds um, makes me think like, OK, so um, I, I have the actual guy on Twitter tell me that he has some folds there. And then I have Steve who um, tells me he has some folds. So so if multiple people are telling me that they have some foes there, then, you know, maybe it wasn't a hopeless bluff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Um, I've got one more that I played on Ignition. Uh, this one, or I'm sorry, uh, Bovada, with respect to Mike. Uh, we've got uh, Pocket Nines, two black okay. nines. I don't see color, but these two are black. Uh, <laughs> on <laughs> Under the Gun. And we're eight-handed, right? Uh, blinds are 100, 200. We've got a stack of about 10K. Um, so we got uh, almost 50 big blinds. And nine's under the gun. So 100, 200, what, uh, what's your size here? Um, pocket nines, I'm 3Xing. Okay. Don't want to go post-flop with this. You what? I don't want to go post-flop with this. Yeah, it would, if you uh, won the blinds and annies every time you raised with pocket nines under the gun, I think you'd be doing quite well. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Uh, we do the same. We make it uh, 3.1, 3.2, something like that. We make it 630. Uh, folds to middle position, who's got about the same stack size. He's got like 9K, so we've just got him covered. Uh, he calls the 630. And then it, uh, the small blind also calls. He's got us both covered. He's got well over a hundred bigs. Gotcha. Numbers on middle position. We only have two hands, so nothing. Uh, but he's got 44 bigs. The small blind, we've got 14 hands on him, 21 seven. So real small sample size. Tough to tell anything. Mm hmm. Uh, okay. So then we go to a flop, and with pocket nines, we've got nine of spades, nine of clubs. The flop is seven of clubs, six of clubs, four of clubs. Pot is 2,100, and we've got um, 9,000. Middle position has 8,000, and small blind has 20. Definitely check. Um, mainly because just as a vacuum, just fundamentally, when you are out of position, especially in multi-way pots, you should be checking like the vast majority of your range. And the only thing that you should be betting are hands you don't mind bet folding or hands you don't mind bet calling. And this one is in neither of those categories. So by default, I'm going to be checking here. Okay. Like, even before you said the flop, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm probably going to be checking. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention the small blind checked. Um, okay. Can you say that? Can you say that again? I feel like there was a golden nugget in there and I might have missed it. Okay. So 
the the simple way to put this is, and you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Ed Miller here, okay? Because <laughs> I'm I'm tired of people bashing Ed Miller's book Poker's One Percent. Okay. Like er- everybody always talks about, oh, in this book, Ed Miller said to always bet seventy percent of your range from the previous street. That is not what he said. He said that is what you want to do when all con- when when you have all favorable conditions. But once you start to get unfavorable conditions, you have to bet much less than seventy percent. So a favorable position would be like opening under the gun and having a big blind call you. Yeah. In that case, you should be betting 70%, probably even more, but 70% if you want to be balanced. But in this case, we get called by somebody who has position on us. That's one um, strike against us. Um, The other thing is um, we get called by the small blind who we have position on, but it's not like his range is super wide, um, from the small blind and he has us covered. So there's like two more strikes. So we're in a multi-way pot out of position. Whenever that's the case, you need to be thinking check first. And the only hands that you should be betting here are hands that you're happy to, um, get it in with. Or hands that you're happy to um, bet full. And you shouldn't have a ton of bet folds here. Because I don't think this is a great bluffing spot. So even if I had a hand that I want like something with just zero equity. I'm not thinking that I could bet small and get them off of a a big portion of the range anyway. And so I'm not even going to bother bluffing with like say ace king of spades. I'm just check folding that hand. So the... Those are the type of hands that could conceivably be bets if because you don't mind bet folding those two arrays. It's like no sweat off your back. Yeah. But but if you bet here and you get raised, you're gonna any hand where you have to tank after you bet, you shouldn't be betting. (laughs) (laughs) So great. Yeah. So so if you bet and you don't instantly know what to do, then um, you know, don't bet. Yeah. I, I I love seeing that live at the poker table when somebody raises uh, the guy's big blind and he shoves for fifteen bigs and the other guy tanks. Like, yeah, <laughs> you saw his stack. <laughs> There's probably one or two things he's going to do here, or one of yeah. three fold yeah. call or raise. You didn't consider the all in there, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. How did you not know that was coming? Fours Crazy. don't look so good right now, do they? <laughs> yeah, it's insane, insane. Yeah. You see it a lot too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, some sound advice. Uh, I wish you were there when I was playing. I, uh, (laughs) into a pot of 2K after the small blind checks. So again, we got two black nines and the, uh, flop is seven of clubs, six of clubs, four of clubs. Into 2100, we bet, uh, 1200. The middle position calls and the small blind folds. Okay. Okay. Uh, turn is four of diamonds. So the board is now seven of clubs, six of clubs, four of clubs, four of diamonds. Actions on us. There's 45 in the middle. 45 in the middle. Um, okay. Here's the other. See, the, the, this is where I kind of get in trouble. It's like, this is something that I learned from Assassinato. It's like, whenever you have the betting league and 
you stop betting, you just wave the white flag and just tell you're telling the person, I have one pair at best. Yeah. Feel yep. feel free feel free to bluff me off of it. And so I almost don't wanna do that, but I also don't wanna keep betting. Like um um I think shit man I uh, the move was checking the flop now I've just handed you this pile of crap and asked you to fix it <laughs> yeah yeah it's like I don't make know make this look like something good <laughs> yeah yeah I guess bet again I guess I'm probably just going to oh, I want to bet small just to kind of like um uh, basically trying to like block or bet my way all the way to the river. Mm-hmm. But if this guy's at all good, he can probably read into that. Like nobody's betting small here with a good hand. Um, so, um, this is on Bavada. Yeah. Yeah. This guy probably sucks. I'm, I'm going to bet small. Okay. All right. Uh, we into forty five hundred. We bet two uh, k. Smaller than that, would you go like fifteen or like eleven? Um, yeah, probably, probably like um, seventeen, eighteen, something like that, maybe. Okay, uh, but two k is fine. I think. Um, I'm just trying to get to the river as cheaply as possible so I can show down the worst hand for, 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 <laughs> lose the pot, yes. for, for, for I, so I can lose it cheaply. At least I know, at least I'll know I didn't get bluffed. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Okay. Uh, so, uh, we bet the 2K. He calls. Um, pot is now 8,400, 8,500, and he's got 5K behind. The river is the 10 of spades. Uh, so final board with uh, two black nines. We got ten of spades, seven of clubs, six of clubs, four of clubs, four of diamonds. Um, eighty-five in the middle. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm probably going. What we started with ten k here. Jeez, we're gonna end up putting half our stack in. Um, so what do we we bet two on the turn? I mean. I guess I'm gonna bet like three k. We don't have much behind, do we? And no, he's got five k in his stack, and we've got six k. Yeah. Um, if I'm betting, I'm betting to get value from something super weak. Um, and so, with that being the case, I need to give him a good price. I need to give him some um, some. Um, some dignity chips. I need to leave him some dignity chips behind. <laughs> <laughs> so I might, so he's got 5k behind. He could call me with a seven here or a six here and still like, I want to leave him like some chips to come back with, like maybe 12, 12 to 15 bigs or something. So I may, I may bet like, I may just bet like half his stack here, like maybe 2,500 or something. Okay. Just something like I don't want him. I don't want to bet so much where he looks down and say, if I call here, I'm only going to have like eight bigs left anyway. Fuck it. I'm all in. Because if he goes all in, I'm folding. Yeah. 
And so I don't want to check because I don't want to say, sweet, he checked my seven's good. I'm all in. Because if he does that, I'm also folding. So looking at it, I'm probably going to bet like 2,500 here, something like that. Okay. And if he can can shove over that, then uh, I guess he just earned the pot. Yeah, we're just never good, I think, if he doesn't. Yeah. Okay. I I don't do that either. I I, uh, check, and then he shoves all in. Now we're hating life. Um, feels like a fool to me. Yeah. Okay. You're dropping it? Yeah. Because I don't think we beat much. Um, we're getting... This, this is what Mike would say, oh, but you're getting such a good price. And I'm thinking, it doesn't matter. <laughs> He's not going to be bluffing often enough. And if he is, the average player in this field, if this guy is, the average player in this field isn't. So this this is where I either check full or I check call and then I pull up the sticky note on my screen and put some more asterisk, um, a- asterisks. I don't know how to say that in plural. Uh, ask- I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had to say it. <laughs> put, put some more actresses yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next to the, the note on my sticky note that says, do not fu- do not call Rivers, you fucking idiot. <laughs> I've al- I already have like seven of them on there, and I'll probably just add three more after calling this in. <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, I can, I can highlight my, uh, my note because I called. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess I convinced myself that he he has to turn um the ace of clubs into a bluff you know like if he had uh i could see a lot of his range there as being like ace king ace queen ace jack ace well ace 10 beats us now so i guess that that's out the window um but i could see those bluffing on the uh on the river the naked ace of clubs uh but he's supposed he, he's supposed to but i will say the average player on this site doesn't do what they're supposed to in this spot, especially given that everything we've known, everything we know about him so far just screams passivity. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he, um, checked back here with like, um, something that you beat, um, or, or something that, yeah, yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I wouldn't be surprised to see him check back with the ace of club here either. Thinking is good, or in his mind, not even thinking on that level. It's like, well, I tried to get there and I missed. Next hand. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I end up flicking in a call, and then he's he flopped the nuts. He had ace ace jacket clubs. Um, yeah. Prime example. That's a hand he probably should be three betting, but because he's passive, he's just check calling down. So anybody who's so passive that they don't three bet that hand, they're probably not bluffing rivers enough. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Well, thank you, Carlos. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Good deal. Yeah. And if uh, people want to get a hold of you for uh, coaching, where uh, where can they do that? They can go to my website, which is MediocrePokerCoaching.com, ah, or they can find me on Twitter, which is HipHop101Trivia. Right on. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on the uh, show, uh, Carlos, and uh, I wish you... Luck with the uh, lava lamp and in Mike's place. Thank you. Thank you. Um, It's been fun. And thank you for tuning in. 
And here is your weekly motivational speech. The most important thing to do first thing in the morning is get yourself in a powerful state. If you're in a great mood, you will produce great results. You will have a great day. The better your attitude, the better the results you produce. The better your attitude, the better you can handle, overcome, and thrive through challenges and difficulties that come your way. So get yourself in a great mood. Do whatever it takes to get that feeling first thing in the morning. Whatever works for you, meditation, reading, gratitude, music, exercise, these are all good options that get you in state. When your mind is positive and clear, you can handle just about anything, can't you? And when you can face challenges with a clear mind, they lose their power. They no longer halt your progress. They no longer have a strangle over your day or your life. You simply choose the best way to move forward and move on. Most people don't start their days like this. Most people aren't happy. Don't be most people. Be the minority. The minority who start their day with positive expectations. 